This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Every summer we do a group of teachings on something specific, a person, um, a Bible, a Bible chapter, or a a specific book all in one. Um, we spend about eight to nine weeks every summer digging into something. And we've, we've done lots of cool topics. This summer, we have been digging into the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And this is the final week, the finale, the grand finale. Um, and I get to talk about persecution on the grand finale. So this is a very weird way to end a series. And I'm going to hopefully by the end of today's message, you're going to really understand the heart of Jesus behind why he said what he said in Matthew chapter 5. Before we get to that, let me remind you next week um, is the back to school blessing. And we also start a brand new series called New Threads. Everybody's going to school, getting new clothes. You're all going to be fighting everybody at Ross Dress for Less on tax-free weekend. It's all about to happen. Stay saved is all I can say. But New Threads starts next week. We're talking about Colossians chapter 3 and the things we have to choose to put on. There are certain things that God does and only he can do. And then there's a lot that he won't do for us that we have to do. And, and we're going to talk about the things that we might need to lay down and things that we need to pick up. And it actually talks about putting it on like clothing. And we're going to dig into all of that next week. And so hopefully you can come back for new threads next Sunday, August the 7th. August starts tomorrow, by the way. Um, so that's weird. Uh, so let's uh, jump into the finale of Flipped. Everybody say Flipped. Say it louder. Say Flipped. Now say Persecution. Oh, you guys are way louder than first service. Congratulations. You guys have felt a little persecution in your life. You said it with some guts. That persecution is not a word that any of us really want to talk about. And I bet you a lot of us don't even really know the depth of what it means. To get us started, let's go back to the beginning of what a beatitude is. It means to be supremely blessed. You can't get any more blessed than supremely blessed. It's a state of utmost bliss. It's fully blessed. Like it is huge. It is big. Like you can't get any more blessed than a beatitude. It's the perfect blessing of the Lord. And it doesn't always mean what you and I think it means. So go listen to week one or watch it on YouTube if you want to know that in depth. The Greek word is makarios, and that means fully satisfied. Like you went to Golden Corral and made a mistake, kind of satisfied. Like Golden Corral is usually a mistake anyway, but you went and ate a lot, and you, and you were just fully satisfied. And, and, it, and it's just, I can't, I can't get, get it away. I can't take it anymore. I'm fully satisfied. But in Matthew chapter 5, the supreme blessedness, the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are you if, blessed are you when, that supreme blessedness is dependent upon the fulfillment of the conditions set in the Beatitudes. So there are certain things that Jesus says you can have, but we can't get those things unless there's these conditions met. And it's hard for us maybe sometimes to get that that's, that's how it is. Man, that's not cool. Just give it to me. But that's not how it works. And so we're going to talk about that even more today. To fully understand the Beatitudes, please go listen to everything we've taught the last seven weeks um, and share even today's with somebody who might be going through uh, something that 
is really hard for them to comprehend and understand. Um, if someone in your life is going through pain or persecution, please send this recording to them because they need to see the biblical foundation behind how God might be using it in their life. All right, look at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Jesus' words on this, we're just going to read through them. See, the, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And please go listen to that one too. All of these things are so deep. We want you to have this in your heart. And then we're getting into today, three verses for today. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, he says, for your reward is great in a place you can't see yet. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're going to do this to you too. Why did Jesus say this? Why did he do this? Why, did this? why was this important enough for him to bring up in the very first sermon that he ever preached? And this was his intro. Why was this so important? Jesus had only been speaking for about two minutes when he went through all of those things. This was his introduction. And I think that you and I need to understand that Jesus would take the things that make sense to us and he flips it. What you and I think is true or, or right, usually it's flipped. It's usually different. The eighth and final beatitude may strike us as negative. Like persecution? Because up to this point, the beatitudes have all been focused on humility and meekness and right relationships and mercy and purity of heart and peacemaking. All positive qualities. And then, boom, Persecution. What is going on here? Why did Jesus do this to us? Why couldn't this have been in the middle and he like sandwiched it with peace and love? You know, like, like how your mom used to talk, like, I love you, but I still love you. Like, why couldn't he have done that? But instead, he just ramps it up, ramps it up, ramps it up. And then the whole climax of the Beatitudes is persecution. Now, don't just blow through your Bible and read through this stuff and not understand it. God is not intimidated or offended by you asking questions. So stop and think because it actually shows that you care about what you're reading. And so I did some digging for us today. The first thing we need to understand is that this is not negative. As with every other beatitude we've studied, there is something offered to us. But except this time, what is offered to us, we won't see until we die. And we're like, man, that's not cool though. That's not cool. I kind of want it now. I'd like for the blessing now. But I personally, feel, I personally feel, this is my opinion, that Jesus saved the best beatitude and the hardest for last. We must expect, here's the bottom line, to be persecuted if we're living as God wants us to live. It is inescapable. It, you can't escape persecution. So 
that led us to think, well, what is persecution then? What does that mean? Well, persecution comes in all different shapes and sizes. First, there's physical persecution, which is more common than us as American Christians know. There, this is obviously the type of persecution that comes in the form of beatings, imprisonments, the stealing of freedoms. Unfortunately, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are currently under this form of persecution. If they're faithful to the Lord like Daniel, they're thrown into the proverbial lion's den every day, fearing for their lives because of their faith, only because of their faith. And next and more common for the American church is the second type of persecution, which is described when Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. This is the like emotional persecution and manipulation that is much more prevalent here. For example, when a believer is made to feel stupid in a classroom for being a believer, that happened to me. When a believer is made to feel like a bigot for lovingly explaining what the word of God teaches on sexuality. Or even when a believer is made to feel like an outcast for believing in creation instead of you coming from monkey spit. All of these very real persecutions greatly affect people. And it silences a believer if we let it. Persecution's difficult. It's hard. Persecution is is not something to be enjoyed. And Christianity is not full of just a bunch of things to be enjoyed. There are things that we have to understand will come our way. Even the Greek word used for persecution is the word that talks about intentionally harassing or pursuing someone to cause harm. So the word persecution used in the Greek New Testament was not even like, oh, just mess with them, just embarrass them. The devil's not in the game to embarrass you. He could care less about embarrassing you. He wants to take you out. He's not a friend. He's a foe. He's wanting to make sure you do not make heaven and that you don't take anyone with you if you do. And he, he is, he is hell-bent on making sure this persecution is an intentional harassment, not a side comment. It's intentional. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone say everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be, now say that word, persecuted. I don't see a little asterisk or anything like except if. There's no italics. There's no, like I, I looked, guys, I've got a really nice study Bible and I looked. It's not. I tried to find you some italics. I swear I couldn't find any. I tried to find you a way out, but I couldn't. There is no way around it. We will be persecuted. But the Lord does promise us that we're blessed and fully satisfied in the the actual definition of the word and that we're not alone. He said that if you're persecuted for Christ's sake, and here, here, here is the kicker of this. If you're persecuted for Christ's sake, you are now able to more closely identify with the cross. You are now more able to deeply identify with the cross of Christ. Besides that, you are far from being alone in persecution because many were persecuted before you. Now let's read Matthew 5 again, just the last verses, and we're going to read it in the message translation. That was... 
Uh, it's a paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson, who is the world's top renowned Greek and Hebrew scholar. He's since to have gone and is with the Lord now, but he, he didn't write the message version as a study Bible. So for all of us purists in the room that love a good King Jimmy version, he was not trying to write a study Bible. He was writing a paraphrase in modern vernacular to help people who could barely read and barely know God understand the most basic truth of that context, okay? So I study out the English Standard and the New American Standard and the Christian English version, and every once in a while King Jimmy comes off the shelf. But if you're going to just read something cover to cover for fun, the message is great. Read it to your kids because they don't want to hear thee, thou, and thine. So read something to them. They can understand. So let me read to you these verses in the message translation. I think it's great um, in, the, in the most painful of ways. Not only that, he says, count yourselves blessed. Everyone say blessed. Count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, he says, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds and know that you are in good company because my prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. I love the way that reads. And I, and I, I, wanna, I just want to tell you a little bit about why. Because when I... When I started studying for this message, I knew that there were some things that I just wanted to, to share with you to give you some insight into persecution. Kelly and I moved to San Antonio in June of 2007. So we, we've been here a long time. We moved to San Antonio when Cibolo was 4,000 people. Now it's 40,000. So, and there were more, like this school was built in 08. We were here before the school was built. And so there, and this was all cows, you know, now there's movie theaters. And so it just was, this was all just blowing up in 2007, 2008, uh, and has continued. And we moved here to be youth and worship pastors at a church, and I loved being a youth pastor. I had so much fun, and I really did enjoy those years. I love teenagers. I got to hang out with our teenagers at the beach when they were doing that mission trip uh, project. And they are just so ridiculous. I had so much fun. Um, and I just, I loved being a youth pastor. And throughout the seven years of working um, at that church, by the uh, year 2012, 2013, um, I had become the executive pastor and someone else was running the, the next-gen department. By the way, youth pastoring is way more fun than being an executive pastor. Way more fun. A lot more pizza and a lot more Xbox. And it's way more fun. Um, but in 2013, things started to crumble. We didn't know that these things were going on behind the scenes with our, our senior pastor. And, and to not distract you from the truth of the story, we're not going to get into everything that did happen. Um, but just think about awful things that churches closed for and they all happened. Um, and then in April 6th, 2014, the church, the church that we had served for eight years closed, uh, seven years closed. And... That was a pretty difficult day. Some of you in this room were even there that day. You've been with us that long. Some of you in this room knew Kelly and I before we even had kids. You know, it's like, and that's weird to think. Um, and, and there's just been so, so many amazing things God's done since then. But in April 6, 2014, the, the church closed. 
and I lost my job. Um, Kelly had quit teaching to stay home with our kids, and so I wasn't making a lot of money anyway, and then she quit teaching at Madison High School, and that was a kick in the pants, you know, it was like that. So we, we had no income. I lost my job. Uh, Kelly and I, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten paid from that church for three months because the church had no money. So we had blown through our savings, and then we had two kids at that time, which seems so easy. Two kids seems so easy. We had two kids and a mortgage, and the grace period for my student loans had run out, and Sally Mae, with her evil, disgusting vengeance, came calling. And um, thank God we've kicked her out since then. She's paid for and out, but it was setting in. All of that happened at the same time. Fear was setting in. But that wasn't even the worst part because I'm a word of faith guy. Like I'll believe God for big ridiculous stuff. Like God can do anything. He can pull it off. I know that he can. I've seen him do it before. And so I I'd had a hard time digging that out though and fear started to set in and I knew God was gonna take care of us and I knew we were going to be okay as a family and that we had a safety net of family and friends that were not gonna let us fail. Like I knew that up here but I didn't know it in here all the time those days. Is that, is that true for any of you? And the worst part though were the insults and the lies that began to circulate via our former pastor about me and Kelly. And he had begun to gather people in his home and say the reason the church closed was because of things I had done. and None of it was true and since has been corroborated, but there are still a lot of people who believe it. And the worst part was, was being betrayed by someone you had served for almost a decade. People we had walked with, prayed with, counseled. We were their small group leaders for years. We baptized them and their children, people whose weddings we had performed, people who had allowed us the privilege of being in the room with them in the most sensitive moments of life, like when a family member passed away. A lot of these people were turned against us to cover up what had actually been done. The glares at the supermarket, the glares at HEB, because even in my worst pain, I still wasn't going to Walmart. So I went to HEB. I mean, I'm not stupid. So I was with, you're going down the cereal aisle and, and you're, you try to say hi and they literally just go right past you. And 14 days before you were holding their baby at a child dedication. These, that's a deeper pain than losing a job. Being at the mall or a sporting event would literally go up to somebody and Kelly saw it. I would go up to somebody and, I, and, and I'd say, hey man, and I'd go to shake their hand and one guy literally swatted my hand away. We felt trapped, it was painful. We felt stuck. Like it, when, when you know that you have the answer to defending yourself but you can't say anything, that's trapped. Because you know it wouldn't help. And so it's, it's trapped, that's a very deep type of pain. I don't know if you've experienced betrayal or anything like that before, that type of persecution, but that's a very deep type of pain. I may have never been jailed for my faith, but I have been persecuted. And maybe that is your experience too. And Kelly and I needed God more in our ministry and in our lives then than we ever had before. 
And what I'm going to share with you today very quickly are the three things that I eventually found. I didn't find them at first. I'm telling you, when these things first happened, my first response was not choose joy like I should have gone to kids camp. Like that was not my first response. I did not choose joy. I chose anger and violence. You know, that was not my first, my first choice. Uh, but eventually I found these three things and I'm gonna give them to you up front, okay? And then we're gonna unpack them. It was perspective, praise, and pain. And these three things don't make a lot of sense to you right now because the last two really need some unpacking. But these are the three things that got us through an intense season of persecution. So let's start with perspective. Everyone say perspective. I needed a perspective shift. Perspective shift number one was that I needed to start seeing things God's way. I need to start seeing things God's way. And here's how God sees things. Persecution equals blessing. We just read that verse. Blessed are you when everybody is stabbing you in the back, is what Jesus just told us. I don't know about you, but when I was being insulted and lied about and persecuted, I didn't say, thank you, God. I am so blessed today. I am blessed and highly favored. My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's got a plan and a hope for me. I wasn't quoting none of the good scriptures. I was quoting everything out of Ecclesiastes where we're all going to die. I was quoting those verses. Like it was just sad and hard. I definitely didn't feel blessed. That word blessed, y'all remember, is makarios. Count yourselves fully satisfied when you're getting stabbed in the back. And this is when I started to ask God, were you okay when you wrote that? Because I'm not trying to be rude to you, but I don't think you were like, did you sleep well the night before? Like, do you sleep? Like, I don't like that because that makes no sense. And in my logical mind, it's like, how can I be fully satisfied when I'm being drugged through the mud? Of no fault of our own, how is that blessing? I had to get my perspective, see it God's way. And I would literally put post-it notes in front of my speedometer, because, you know, speed is whatever. And I'd have a post-it note in front of my speedometer, and it would say, you're still blessed and fully satisfied. And I would say things like that out loud and hear myself say it. And you can think that's wonky all you want, but I'm telling you, it got me through a very difficult season of my life to shift my perspective to how God sees things, not how I saw things. Because the way I saw things was, how dare you? I'm going to go over there. I know what you're doing. I'm going to prove my case. That's how I saw things. Perspective shift number two was to get my eyes off of myself. Get our eyes off of ourselves. The navel gazing will not work. Because if you're just staring at yourself, you can't see where you're going. You can't see. You can all see my bald spot now, don't you? It's like you can't, you can't see anything if you're staring at yourself. You can't see God. You can't see the horizon. You can't see the clearing. You can't see that storm coming. You can't see truth. All you see is your own self. And we got to get our eyes off of ourselves, but we live in a culture that is obsessed with self. The term self-love wasn't even a thing until 10 years ago. 
I grew up in a church where it was like, there's nothing good about you to love. Only Jesus is good. I don't know if that's a good way to go either. I think maybe in the middle. As a four-year-old, you're like, I'm awful. You know, so that's probably not a good way to go. But I do think that there is a time for us to get the focus off of ourselves. Jesus said, it's not even about you. You remember what the scripture said? He said, they're persecuting you to discredit who? Him. You're being persecuted. The devil's not after embarrassing you. He could care less about your embarrassment. He's after discrediting the gospel. He's after discrediting Jesus and heaven completely, and he's using you to do it. So think about this when you're going through persecution, that you and I are part of a worldwide group of brothers and sisters. And I went to this little Baptist Christian school from kindergarten through fourth grade, Permian Basin Christian School, home of the fighting Cougars and flag football champions right here because we couldn't play tackle because the deaconesses were scared. So we, we played flag football. And everybody was brother and sister. Brother, you know, Brother George and Sister Margaret, and they always had really interesting names. And I remember his, Brother Hartsfield was our principal, and, and, and in order to go to this little Baptist Christian school, it was old school Baptist Christian school, you had to sign these papers that if your kid gets in trouble, they can spank you. Now, this was way back in the 90s. Y'all calm down, all right? So this so was way back in the 90s, and yes, I got a lot of them. But this, I remember one. Brother Hartsfield called me into his office, and, and I was doing graffiti in the bathroom. And we had to wear slacks and dress shoes and a shirt and tie, and I'm this really skinny little rail kid drawn on the bathroom wall, and I got busted. But I was drawing a cross, I swear to God. I was drawing a cross, and it was 3D, and there was a flame and a dove. It was amazing, and no one cared, and I still got spankings by Brother Hartsfield. So maybe we don't call each other brother and sister anymore. But I remember, I remember this. I remember that all of, I, even in our church I grew up in, because I didn't go to that Baptist church. I just went to school there. But I remember even the church I grew up in, everybody was brother and sister. And it reminded us that we are part of something bigger. They, these are, everyone's got your back. All of these people have your back. And we may not use that terminology anymore, but can I tell you something? We got brothers and sisters all around the world that don't have it like we have it. See, we have it the most comfortable out of anyone in the world. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not shaming America. I have a flag in front of my house. I drive American-made cars. I cry in the Star Spangled Banner. I'm not shaming America. But what I am telling you, I mean, I love a good air show. I mean, come on. I mean, it says I'm not, I'm not shaming America. What I am telling you is that we are very blessed and very comfortable. And COVID even showed us that certainly because even other industrialized countries like Canada were persecuting their citizens while we all got to be free still at some level. And we still showed that we are the most free and the most comfortable in the entire world. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and sometimes remind ourselves that persecution's goal is to discredit the gospel, not bring you pain or embarrassment. So when we're going through something, we're like, God, take this pain and this embarrassment away, and he's actually asking you to see something deeper. In the 2022 World Watch Report, and these are the most recent, um, most recent statistics, 360 plus million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination just for being Christian. 
just for having Jesus in your heart, 360 million people. Guess how many people live in the United States? Around 360 million people. That's one in seven Christians worldwide is living in fear for their faith. One out of seven. That blew my mind. 5,898 Christians have been killed for their faith in the last year. Just for being Christian. For no other reason. Just for being a born-again believer. In Nigeria, an average of 13 Christians per day are being killed right now. 13 per day. And that's one of the most industrialized nations in Africa. 13 Christians. And then here's are being taken from their homes and murdered in front of their families. And then here's what one of the persecuted people said. We are not passing through anything our Lord did not pass through himself and triumph over. What a perspective, everybody. And you and I lose our minds when we can't find our phone or our cruise tickets get canceled or our flights get delayed. We lose our stuff because we have no wherewithal because we've gotten so comfortable. I love a good recliner, especially during football season. Thank God it's almost here because I'm tired of dumb TV. But I love a good recliner. It's comfortable. But imagine how weak you would be if all you did was sit in there. Your muscles atrophy and they begin to die without being used. And you and I have gotten so spiritually comfortable that we can even have church in a school that is paid for by taxes. I don't know if we understand how ridiculous of, of a blessing that actually is, that a government building can be used to preach the gospel without fear of any troops coming in and taking us out. What a blessing. What a perspective. 5,110 churches have been attacked and destroyed in the last year. 5,000 churches. 4,765 believers have been detained for no other reason except for being a Christian. Almost 5,000 believers have been detained, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. 3,829 Christians are missing within the last year simply for being Christian. Can I say this to you? Persecution can reveal purpose. Let me explain. In Syria, a priest chose to stay and pray for his purpose in the persecution in Syria. When everyone else was fleeing, he stayed and he said this, I am going to grow my beard even longer and I intend to look like an Islamic state fighter. It is time to be smarter than the Islamic state. And no one knew what he was talking about. Here's what he did. He impersonated an Islamic soldier. Not something most people would choose to do because it's punishable by death if you get caught. But the priest risked his life to rescue Christian prisoners. He grew his beard, looked like an Islamic state fighter, became one of the commanders, and used his authority as a false Muslim to free Christians. In 2016 alone, he personally had, his, had this hidden system where 220 Christians were sent home back to their families. And he said this, I just got fed up hearing of the killings and the fleeing. It was time to break the mold and do something daring like Jonathan, the son of Saul, 
and go into the camp of the Philistines. There are many more of us. Wait a few more years and you will praise God when you hear how God has made a way for those who are bold for him. What a perspective, everybody. When we're being persecuted, we need true perspective. And it takes maturity from you and I to sit in the discomfort and to sit in the pain and even ask God to show you the purpose behind that pain. But when you do, you submit that to the cross and you become more like Christ even in that very moment. And it's highly likely that the persecution, the ridicule, and the insults you're experiencing right now is growing you and showing you. It's growing your strength and your resolve and your focus And it's showing you your purpose in this season or the very next season. All you've got to do is ask. It's growing you and showing you, but it can't if you run. That's perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. Now let's talk about praise. What does that mean? Okay, look at this verse. We just read it. You can be glad when persecution happens. And remember, even give a cheer, hurrah, for though they don't like it, I do, and all of heaven applauds. What a weird verse, and I don't like it, because you mean I got to go through persecution and the only people that are applauding are ones I can't see or hear? For a type three on the Enneagram, you know how damning that is? I need to hear the applause. I mean, this is awful. And I begin to read it, and I'm like, what does this really mean? Let me say it this way, and this is something that Kelly and I had to embody years and years ago. Who am I desiring applause from? Who am I trying to impress? Who am I wanting to clap for me? Is it my mom? Is it your dad? Is it your friends? Is it... Your spouse, is it your Facebook groups, is it your online following? Who are you wanting to applause for you? Now, it's not wrong for people to cheer each other on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it this way. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to make happy? Who are you trying to please? And it's true. Pleasing people feels better now, but it comes with pain later. Pleasing God comes with some pain now, but total peace and makarios, fully satisfied blessing later. It's flipped. The applause we desire and live for speaks volumes to our bedrock beliefs and our dysfunction. We generally seek applause, though, from our echo chambers. You know what I mean when I'm talking about an echo chamber? Like, we don't want to hear truth from another side. We just want to rally and rant with a bunch of like-minded people who think, look, and act and talk like us. We don't want to really know how to be better. We just want to complain and rant. And it feels good in those moments when we rant online about a political figure so people like it, send clappy emojis to our live videos as we regurgitate half facts from paid opinion artists posing as journalists. We feel good though. We feel good like we, we, we need the praise from people. We need this applause from people. But we're being duped. Christians wake up and seek applause from an audience of one. 
Seek applause from heaven. Let's live our lives for an audience of one. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our focus now becomes simple. I will talk to him every day so I can follow him in the best of ways. It is that simple. So who are you trying to please? Who are you wanting to clap for you? So perspective. We had to shift our perspective to how God sees it. And then Kelly and I just had to We had to please God because there were people blowing up my phone and I had to change my phone number because people, I literally went to AT&T and changed my phone number because people were blowing up my phone saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, and I couldn't handle it anymore, so I changed my phone number. And there there was this, this tug and I wanted to help both sides, but I couldn't. I just had to start pleasing an audience of one. When you're in the middle of persecution, you look up. That is the applause you seek. Number three is pain. Everyone say pain. Growth comes only through pain. Growth comes only through pain. Between the summer, uh, the summer between sixth grade and seventh grade, in two months, I grew seven inches. I don't know if you've ever heard a bone grow, but I think I did. And it sounds like, that's what it sounds like. All of my pants were high waters. I was going into junior high. It was awful. High waters and acne are a bad combo going into junior high. And, And I just remember how painful that was. And I bring that up because... The growth only happened after those seasons of pain. Childbirth is painful. And then there's blessing after that pain. Growth only comes through pain. And your next season of purpose will be, not might be, will be birthed through a season of pain. And for some, this pain is learning learning to let go of control. That's painful, right? Right? Some of y'all just went, for others, it's learning self-control. That's painful. For others, it's getting your physical health in order. For some, it's learning to let people help you by being honest with them. For you, maybe it's going to couples counseling and embracing that discomfort and the pain of being brutally honest for that next season of closeness and purpose. For all of us though, here's a pain to embrace. No matter what we're all going through, here's a pain we can all agree on. Choose to release rather than retaliate. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, blessed are the retaliators, for they shall see justice. That's not real. That's American, that's not biblical. And even though all of our leaders like to spew off nonsense online, We have to choose to release rather than retaliate. Here's what I mean. I'm talking about offenses. Offenses will blind you to what God is doing in your life. We must choose to overlook offenses. So it's actually unbiblical for you to pray that God would have you overlook those offenses. He can't do that. You have to do it. And it's a choice in the natural that connects you to the supernatural. Let me prove it to you. Proverbs. Love overlooks 
on purpose that others do. It overlooks it on purpose. Proverbs 12, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. It means we got a big mouth. But wise people ignore insults. Wouldn't you just like to have some politicians that ignore insults? Wouldn't that be nice? Wise people ignore it, but fools tweet. That's the Landon International Version. Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience, but it's to his glory to overlook an offense. Love looks past the behavior and imagines the pain in their life and it keeps grace in focus. Colossians 3 proves it. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offended you because you need to remember that the Lord forgave you first. I, I, want, if I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I got one, I'd get this line right here in really cool gothic letters backwards so when I looked in the mirror I could remind myself that day Landon the Lord forgave you yeah I'm gonna forgive everyone but I'm not gonna do it because I don't like needles remember the Lord forgave you so now give that grace to other you know who the most prideful and aggravating people are are the ones who don't know how much they've been forgiven from so they don't give grace to anybody else because they don't know that they need to receive it but people who forgive others freely know just how much they've been forgiven from. Whatever it is, your next season of purpose and joy are on the other side of persecution and pain. Embrace it, don't reject it. Ask God what the purpose in it is and he'll show you, guaranteed. You may not see that blessing till heaven, but you'll reach a lot of people in the present. As Kelly and I gained fresh perspective in that season, in 2013, 2014, we began to please an audience of one and we embraced that pain. One of the hardest things we've ever had to do. And it hurt. Our next season of purpose then became clear. Because I, I was trying to get out of Texas. And as a fifth generation Texan, that is a sin. You don't leave. Why would you go anywhere? There's Texas and not Texas. Why would you do that? And so I was going to be the first defector. My grandpa actually said that. It was kind of funny. Um, And everything just seemed so confusing and painful. I didn't know where to look. And then as, as soon as we got God's perspective that blessing is actually not conditional on my emotional excitement. It's like I'm actually blessed even though hell is all around me and this hurts so bad. I'm fully satisfied in who he is. And now I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve an audience of one. I'm not gonna worry about all of these people. I'm still gonna say hello to them when I see them at HEB. And I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna stop being nice to people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve an audience of one because when I say hello to them, I'm hugging my father. I'm just gonna look that way. 
And then I'm going to embrace pain as hard and awful as this feels. I know that it will grow me. And who knew that our next season of purpose would actually carry the same name? The Purpose Church was opened in January 2015. 350 people came to that first service. It was 26 degrees, the roads were iced over, 38 people got saved. And since that day, a thousand, more than a thousand people have given their lives to Christ in the last seven and a half years. And I can tell you with full assurance and a smile on my face that I didn't choose what happened to us, but I sure wouldn't change it. Because if it hadn't happened, I would have been the world's best number two. But that wasn't what I was supposed to do. I was so loyal, I was blind to what God was truly asking me to do. And I wouldn't change it because it was in that season of pain that we found our next season of purpose. I found healing. Our relationships nationwide were opened up in new and profound ways. And we've gotten to meet all of you. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. 2 Corinthians 12 says, so I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. And here goes Paul. For when I feel my weakness, you ever felt your weakness? You might want to do some self-discovery and just go to Land of Park and hear a duck and ask God, what are my weaknesses? And just journal it. He'll tell you and you'll go home very humbled. And just listen. Sometimes we talk too much and God's trying to speak to us. For when I feel my weakness and I endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side, it wouldn't have ever felt that way. When I face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made stronger for my weakness is a portal to God's power. So I would love to be able to tell you that blessing comes in the form of brand new Escalades and Jordans and Yeezys and whatever the heck fully functional air conditioning. That is a blessing, actually. I'd love to tell you that it's all these things that make your life more comfortable, but actually the Bible says we are the most blessed when we go through pain and persecution because now we can really experience the love of Christ in a way we never could have before. So don't run from it, embrace it. Be brutally honest with God. So look at these response questions. Where does your perspective need to change? Where does it need to shift? Are you looking at yourself like, where, where does this need to change? And who do you need to forgive? What offense do you need to overlook? Like what, what is going on that might be blocking you? And for some of you, I know, because you've told me your stories and you've let Kelly and I into these very intimate parts of your past experiences and of which we are very grateful. And I know that there are some very serious offenses that you are overcoming or have overcome or need to overcome. Maybe God's bringing this to your attention today because your next great blessing is around the corner. And then ask God to reveal to you your next season of purpose and what he is using this pain to grow in you right now. Because I can guarantee you this, I didn't know it eight years ago 
when we were at the Shirts Civic Center having our very first, we want to start a church meeting. I didn't know it then, but the lessons I, I was learn, still learning at that time. Because it's kind of hard to plant a church when people that used to love you are praying that it fails. And going through those seasons of persecution and pain, I had no idea that I was going to get to share with you these lessons today. And that hopefully would help you overcome what you're going through. And ask God to show you because what you're going through right now, tomorrow, in a year, two years, five years, in a month, you might be sharing with someone else how to get through their season of pain based on what God shows you because you asked him this today. It only takes... We end our services at the end of every week with a response time. It only takes about five minutes. The band sings a song. If you're new around here, I'll just tell you, the band sings a song. And that's kind of like your, your time. There's prayer partners that are going to be all in the back of the room. So you can go get prayer for anything and everything. Anything. Don't leave here without getting prayer if you need prayer. Get prayer. You can be, you can be as open or as transparent with them as you want, but just be, they're ready for you. And then on the sides of the room, there's four little black tables. And on those tables, there's little buckets with communion cups in them. And there's little cards on how to take communion. Communion is between you and God. It's not between you and the church. So if you're coming from a Catholic background, it has nothing to do with us or the church. It's between you and Jesus. So you can self-guide yourself through that by sitting and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. That's between you and him. And then there's cards on that table that say, what is God saying to me right now? And what am I gonna do about it in the next seven days? And it's just an action. So you and I can receive this truth from God's word in Matthew five. And I hope I delivered it in a way that was helpful. And then we can squander it and go home and forget it. Or we can make action steps today. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm gonna pray. And then the band's gonna start singing and the band, uh, band's gonna lead us through one song and then Kelly and I are gonna come and dismiss. Father, Thank you. If you feel like lifting your hands just as an act of surrender, just go ahead and feel free to do that. This is your time. God, we surrender. And God, I thank you for the truth of the word of God. I thank you for the truth of the word of God that has come in and has rightly divided the things in our lives that are out of whack and need attention. And God, I just pray courage over everyone in this room to go right at it and to deal with it and submit it to the cross. God, we thank you that your word does not return void and I believe that it was planted in good ground today and that it will grow into an oak of righteousness unable to be torn down by the winds and waves of life, but it will be shade for their family tree for generations. I pray for freedom from people who have been handling and, and, and dealing with offenses and unforgiveness for so long. I pray freedom over their life today in Jesus' name. And may we experience Jesus in a powerful way unlike we ever have before in the next couple of minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to respond at the tables or go to receive prayer. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.